This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. Christmas has arrived at Central, and so we're starting our Christmas series this morning. And so I get to kick that off. Our Christmas series is titled, Jesus Came Down. 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 Jesus came down, okay? And um, today what we're talking about specifically, not, not overall that Jesus came down, we're talking about four parts of this that uh, entail that idea that Jesus is this physical representation of these four things that we're going to be going over. And so today what I'm starting off with and kicking us off with is hope. Somebody say hope. Hope. Okay, hope, hope came down when Jesus uh, saw fit, when God saw fit to wrap himself in humanity and come down, hope was embodied in who Jesus is. There's this Latin word, if you guys um, have ordered any Spanish food, then you know it. Uh, The word is carne, right, which is meat, but uh, the, the Latin word is incarnate, right, and so that's like the root of it. So incarnate, if God is in Carne, he's in flesh. So God made flesh, made real, walking among us is what Christmas is all about. It's when Jesus came, the foretold Messiah makes his glorious arrival in human history. And so that's what we're getting into today. So talking about hope, uh, I thought it was only fitting to give you guys one of the uh, most hopeful years in my Christmas like memory, like childhood memory of Christmas. And so this, uh, I remember when I was 10, I was 10 years old, I wanted two things. I wanted like 80 things, right, but I wanted two really badly. If you would have talked to 10-year-old Richard, he would have looked exactly the same minus the beard and maybe like four inches. Haven't grown much since then, okay? And um, this way or this way, actually. So, um, and nor have I shrunk in any of those. So, okay, so... um. Uh, there was two things that I was really, like, really obsessed with as 10-year-old Richard. If you know what this is, then uh, I stand with you. Uh, I was really into X Games. Anybody? The X Games? The, the X Games? It's like the Olympics for extreme sports, so it's like better in every way, really, uh, and except probably in what they pay their athletes, right? And so uh, snowboarding, skateboarding, rollerblading, BMX, bro, uh, right? Like there's, I mean, there's crazy sports in there. I was all about that junk when I was a kid, yo. I saw Johnny Tsunami, anybody? Johnny Tsunami? Mahalo, bro, right? Like it's like, like Hawaiian kid. It's like surfer comes to the mainland, and there's no surfing, but there's a lot of snow. And so he's like, not a surfer now. He's a land surfer, snowboarder, go big or go home, right? That was what I was on, son. I was like, yo, go big or go home. I need a snowboard for Christmas. Ten years old. I'm getting into the X Games, fam. So that was one. Number two goes hand in hand with X Games and snowboarding. I was really into being a secret agent. (laughs) So, man. Picture my build, yo. It don't matter how much black you wear. You're not sneaking around, dude. Right? But, like, <laughs> like I was all about it. So, like, there was uh, one of my favorite video games at the time was called Metal Gear Solid. And uh, there's an agent in there. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. So um, there's an agent in there named uh, Snake. 
Snake, right? And if the Japanese in the game is like, the snake, right? And so Snake um, was a secret agent. My two favorite video games uh, had to do with being a secret agent. Uh, my favorite movies, other than the ones about, like, snowboarding and skateboarding and all that, uh, were, like, secret agent ones. And so me and my brother would actually print out at the local uh, community center. We had to go there to use their printer. So young ones, eat your, eat your heart out. Um, and we'd print out the pictures of the video game agents put them on index cards, Uh, we would write our information on them, and then we would laminate them with, like, packing tape, so they were waterproof, dude, and so we had our own secret agent IDs that we just had ready in case some stuff broke out in Colorado Springs, Colorado. You need help? Call me. I'll snowboard over. I'll handle the bad guys. We're good, right, and so I was obsessed with those two things, so what I really needed to get those two things really popping off when I was 10, I needed a snowboard. We used to get these catalogs, catalogs, if you don't know what that is, it's this book. It's like really thick, heavy book of pictures and prices that you'd get in the mail. It's kind of like Amazon, but it's all uh, killing trees. And um, we get it in the mail. I got the CCS catalog in the mail, and um, uh, CCS was a skateboard, snowboard catalog. One half was for skateboard. The other half was when winter came, you'd snowboard. And... Um, I'd get these catalogs in the mail, and you'd order by phone. And so I would never order. I would just call and be like, yo, how much does this cost? And they'd be like, oh, 100 bucks. I'd be like, can't buy it, sorry. I must have called 100 times a day, right? And so I knew a snowboard that I wanted from the CCS catalog, and I knew that I wanted these watches that were walkie-talkies. Walkie-talkie watches. Apple Watch? No, fam. Walkie-talkie watch that reaches like 15 feet. I could whisper better than this, right? And so I needed those two things. There's like a hundred things on my list. Those were the two big ones. And so uh, I remember one day we were going to the store. My mom had to take us to the uh, babysitter, which actually happened to be the store. It's called Walmart. And um, uh, she would drop us off between the aisles of nine and 12, right? The toy slash uh, outdoor section. And she'd be like, okay, stay here. I'm going to go shop. I don't know what she was shopping for because we never had that much food in the fridge, but it took like four and a half hours. She probably left, to be honest with you. But she'd drop us off, and she'd be like, hey, hang out here. If you leave and they call me on the intercom, you're going to get a spanking, so stay here. And by God, it worked, yo. I can't tell you how many, uh, how many dollars were saved in babysitting thanks to the fear of God and the Walmart toy section. And so I'm walking around with the babysitter, at the babysitters, and uh, I'm like going through the board game area, and I did something I had never done before and I've never done since, but I was desperate this year. I really needed to be a snowboarding secret agent. And so I walked over to the shelf, and I found the Oracle, the magic eight ball, the all-knowing, metaphysical, hotline to the universe, the magic eight ball. I picked it up, and I went down my list, one by one, asking the magic eight ball if I would get what I wanted. And then I'd be like, hey, snowboard, dude, what am I getting? And I'd wait for the dice on the inside to to roll over and for the cloudy squid ink blue die to move out of the way so I could read what it said. And it would say things like, not a chance, or it'd say things like, for show, right? You're definitely getting this, or in due time, right? And they had like, like eight or nine, I don't know the math, I don't know, somebody knows. But they had like eight or nine answers that you could get. And so I would shake it, and I'd look at it, and I'd be like, am I getting the walkie-talkies? Yeah. Not a chance. What? 
right? And so I would do that, and if it gave me, check this out, if it gave me an answer I didn't like, if you know, if you've ever had a magic eight ball, you know what to do, bro. You take it, and you go, and you just kind of maneuver it and hold it in a way where the dice rolls again and says something that you actually like, right? And so, uh, spoiler alert, I'll just go ahead and tell you this wasn't part of the story. I wanted to use the magic eight ball example. Sorry, that's bothering me. And, uh, but I, I got a snowboard, but it wasn't the CCS one. I guess my parents thought I wasn't ready for uh, X Games level snowboarding. They got me like a Kmart one. And by that, I mean, if you, get, if you get a Kmart snowboard, you pretty much get like a breadstick shaped piece of plastic that you stand on. So it's pretty much like a car floor mat that you stand on. It maybe actually was a car floor mat, knowing my dad. I don't know. But, so I got a snowboard, right? And then I actually did get the walkie-talkies, dude, and they worked for like 15 minutes, and that was the greatest 15 minutes of my life. And uh, I got it, but what I want to draw out of that is the magic eight ball thing, okay? So go with me on this. I was thinking about the magic eight ball, and now even as a kid when I'm 10 shaking this thing, I knew that the magic eight ball wasn't really like the... The, the source of, like, the Magic 8-Ball wasn't going to give me those things. It was like a means to an end. It was, it was like a way to comfort myself into thinking that I, I had a better chance at obtaining what I wanted to. It made me feel like the odds were better in my favor for getting what I wanted to. And in short, it kind of gave me a little bit more hope than I would have had without the Magic 8-Ball. But the Magic 8-Ball itself wasn't giving me any hope, Right? And so as I thought about that and I thought about what hope is and how hope came down and how Jesus is these things, I started thinking about how you and I, and I'll just speak for myself this morning, I got enough that I can confess that maybe you can relate to to where I don't even got to point it at you. I can point it at me. How many times I treat Jesus like my personal magic eight ball, right? Like Jesus... Jesus isn't supposed to be a magic eight ball. He's not, I know Jesus isn't the means to the end that I want, but how many times do I treat Jesus like the means to the end that I want? Jesus is the actual hope that I have, but I treat Jesus like he's just the way to get to the things that I hope for. And I started thinking, about, and, 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 and I, I believe that that's something that's just inside of you and inside of me. I, I think that we know how to do that. We've even gotten so good at it that we know how to maneuver the eight ball if we don't get a result we want. Here's what that looks like. Grab the ball, shake the ball. Translation, dear Jesus, could you please just yada, 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 right? We start shaking the ball. Then we may get this, like, feeling, or we might kind of feel good, or maybe we don't feel, or maybe, how many times do you tell on yourself when you're praying? Is that just me? I'll start praying, and as I'm, prayer is powerful because you start, when you start to align your thoughts and and what you're saying to uh, trying to cast that at God and say, hey, God, uh, uh, could, could this kind, when you start laying that out before God, God starts to expose your motives, or is that just me? God will start to show me why I'm praying for what I'm praying for. And if the motive isn't right, I'll get convicted right there. But here's where we shake the eight ball or we turn it to get a better answer. Then to trick myself into thinking it's not that way, I'll just kind of reword something. Or I'll just kind of like ask in a different way. 
or I'll like throw out like a fleece statement like, uh, Lord, come on, you know how bad like, these, like this situation kind of needs help, and I'm being so blessed to be a part of it, God. Translation, yo, God, I'm really trying to get that opportunity. I really want that for myself. That's a good chance at advancement. But we don't ever want to say this, so we become pros at shaking the eight ball, getting kind of a a discernment about what it's going to land on, and then tilting it till we get the answer that we want. And that's not how Jesus is supposed to be. Like our relationship with God, the hope that we have in Jesus, isn't supposed to be some magic eight ball thing. In other words, Jesus isn't supposed to be like this oracle that you go to when you need a big answer. Even in my daily life, if I'm going to tell on myself more, I've got, I, I get into this habit sometimes of like, I pray, I read my Bible, I meditate, I sa- I've been trying to Sabbath more, like, since we talked about that. But then in, like, the, the daily application, my kids are driving me nuts, right? Like, I got work stuff that needs to be done. I got a million errands to run. I got a car, a guy give me the middle finger in traffic. I got people trying to fight me over a steel trash can with the flippy lid. Whatever it is. When I get into those situations, I kind of like relegate God to the eight ball status again. And I'm like, I got this, though. Like, I can handle this, though. Like, Jesus is, <laughs> Jesus is, is here, and he, he's like a thought that I have, and I know him. But, but, like, I got this right here. I can handle this right here, right? And we relegate God to this like magic eight ball genie in a lamp kind of Jesus, and that's not what he is. Jesus isn't just who you call on when things get too far out of your reach to where now you can't handle it. Jesus isn't just somebody that I'm supposed to call on and lean on and hope in when when I can't hope in myself any longer. Jesus is, is not that guy. Jesus is not that, that is not what hope is. That's counterfeit. And so this morning as I was praying about what I want to share with you, I'm thinking, yo, this is, this is sweet. We get to talk about Advent. We get to talk about Christmas. We got trees. There's pumpkin pie like in the fridge now. You can't buy pumpkin pie and look like legit any other time of year except right now. And I'm about that mess, you know. And like, so like I'm feeling this. I could really go holiday right now. I could really pull some, like, you know, some, like, Christmas carols here and really, like, you know, get, get real nitpicky with the lyrics and kind of really make this feel jolly with you. But as I was praying and laying it out before God, I felt like it took a weird turn. And I, I'll be honest with you, the passage that I have today is not a Christmas passage. And the, the similarities I want to draw from this aren't maybe ones that somebody would take for this topic. But this, out of, no, out of nowhere... I'm praying, and I'm like, okay. I even told Carmen, I, I told Carmen my, my idea for the flow of this and how I kind of wanted to tell this story and all that. Completely different direction. Then I'm praying about it. I'm writing it a few days ago, and, and it was like, boom, no, no, th- this, is, this is the direction. And so under that leading of the Holy Spirit today, I want to share with you this. And I hope that you would take something from this because if I can just lay all my cards on the table with you, if you've heard me speak at all in the past two months, I feel like what God is really trying to get through to me, and if I could pass something on to you that's useful, is that faith is practical. Faith is real. Faith that you cannot activate on a regular basis, daily, to where it has real life, real time implications for you. That kind of faith is useless, and Jesus isn't about that. 
So today I want to show you how hope isn't just something that's coming on the horizon one day. But hope is something that you have and I have right here, right now, through God's son Jesus. So if you would, if you have uh, an app, you can go to it. Uh, it's John chapter 4. Uh, if you have a Bible, holy smokes, you get extra credit. Uh, go to John chapter 4. If you need to just follow along, I got it up here. We're going to start in John chapter 4. I'm going to give you a disclaimer. I'm reading to you. Brace yourself, buckle up, put on your listening ears. I'm reading to you 26 straight verses. That's a lot, man. It'll take two minutes, okay? So just bear with me. Let me give you a little background. This is, this is an important contrast because the story that I'm about to read to you is the story of Jesus talking with the woman at the well. You've probably heard it. It's important how this lands in Scripture because Jesus had just got done speaking to somebody else who was notable, but for different reasons. Jesus' next interaction previous to this, his next closest interaction just before this, with somebody other than a follower of his was with Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. Pharisee means that he was the religious like, standard for Jews in the society. He was upright, righteous man, knew Scripture, upheld it, and was proud of himself for that. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. You and I know if you do something in the darkness, you don't want to be seen. You don't want people to know. He was on his secret agent stuff like I was. Probably didn't have a snowboard, though. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he's having a spiritual interaction with Jesus. He's, Jesus is trying to talk to him about new life. And, and, and Nicodemus is like, yo, what you talking about? I can have new life. And Jesus is like, okay, so... Here's what I mean by this, man. Like, you're not going to have new life just by knowing stuff. You have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I have to go back inside my mom. That's not, that's not possible. And Jesus is like, okay, gross. No. You have to be born again of the spirit. And check this out. A Pharisee, somebody who prides himself on their spiritual prowess, does not get the spiritual terms that Jesus is speaking in. So now carry that with you as we go into an interaction that Jesus has with a woman at the well. We'll unpack that in a minute. John 4, starting in verses, verse 1, going through 26, says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist. If you're, if you're baptizing more people than a dude whose name is John the Baptist, you're a bad dude. You know what I mean? Like, he's doing work, fam. And although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, went back once more to Galilee, and now he had gone through Samaria. So he came into a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. Remember the time, okay? Do you remember the time we fell in? Thank you, Tony. Appreciate you. Y'all. Y'all need some flavor, fam. So... I just want to, this, this is just uh, an extra for you. When you see them do things like this in the Bible, 
that, that's them giving you confidence in what you're reading. When they say things like, uh, so he left Judea, went back once more to Galilee, through Samaria, to Sychar, near a plot of ground that Jacob had given his son, and that's where Jacob's well was. Here's what they're doing. They're inviting you to check it out. They're not just, hey, we were hanging out in, uh, you know, uh, Jacob's backyard where he had a well, and, you know, that was, we were just, we were in this country, by this place, by this town, at this plot of land. They're saying, you don't believe us, check this out. There's an actual place that we were at, and it's real, and you can find it. And so they're inviting skeptics here. They're saying there's proof to what we're saying. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And it was just Jesus and the woman because the disciples went to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, but you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because like Jews... And Samaritans, they don't, we don't chill. So chill. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. So where are you going to get this living water, bruh? You talking about you going to serve me with some water? You ain't even got a cup. You can't give me any water. What you talking you going to do? No. That was unnecessary. <laughs> are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? You greater than that, dude, because we've been here, we've done this, we already know what's up. You better than us because you ain't got a cup, bro. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Pause. Some of us ain't nothing but thirsty. And I don't even mean like Netflix and chill. But if you are, chill. But some of us cannot, cannot find what it is inside of us that makes us want and need and hunger and thirst and desire and work and work and never get enough. And Jesus is saying, hey, plain and simple, you keep coming back for a refill because you're not going to the source. You ever seen a Fiji bottle before? It says bottled out the source. The weird thing about it is if you went to the source, you wouldn't need the bottle that bottled it out the source. You wouldn't need a cup or a bucket or any vessel to hold because you could just take a drink from the source. And so Jesus is saying some of you guys can't find anything that's sufficient enough to satisfy your hunger and your thirst and your longing because you keep going to something that will never fill you because it's not the source of it. And she's like, whoa, you came on kind of strong there. I'm kidding. She didn't. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still like, okay, like you're kind of weirding me out. You're talking about this and, th and I don't, like, okay, I'm trying to stay with you here. And Jesus says, okay. Go call your husband and then come back to me. She said, I have no husband. He said, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. You don't. Uh, actually, you've had five husbands. 
baby girl. <laughs> so what you just said is quite true. Uh, th- this one's unnecessary. Jesus was spasm. And, <laughs> and the man that you have now isn't even your husband. So she's like, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> How is that your response? Yo, you got like five boyfriends and you're cheating with somebody right now too. Well, you're a prophet, dude. (laughs) Like, whoa, got me. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from, not for, but from the Jews. I'm a Jew. It's coming from your boy. He's like, tidbit, tidbit, clue, clue. Check me out. Check me out. I'm in front of you. From the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the, these are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Check this out. I'm going I'm to just tell you right now, this is a statement of faith from this woman. She's making a bold statement of faith to somebody she believes to be a prophet. It's pretty, pretty brave. The woman said this, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus said, picture this. Like if you could just be a fly on the well. Jesus looks at her and says, I, the one speaking to you right now, I'm that Messiah. So you only saw five husbands, right? Okay, we'll leave that alone, Jesus. Don't bring up any more. You got me. You already know. I know you know. Yo, right away, let me point something out. Jesus just spoke to somebody who is uh, uh, the standard for spirituality and knowledge of, those, of religious things, right? And they couldn't get the spiritual nuance that Jesus was speaking in. But Jesus speaks to a woman who has been caught in so many love triangles. I mean, it's like, I don't even know what shape it is anymore. And he's talking to her, and she's getting water from a well at noon. Here's why that's important. Because Nicodemus came by night so he wouldn't be seen. She came at the hottest part of the day the well where people would drink from. So if, if you lived in like a desert area, you wouldn't come to get water at noon. That's when you need to have your water by. So she's purposely avoiding interaction with people because she knows what they have to say about her. She's ashamed. She knows she's guilty. She knows she's dirty. She's hiding her face, literally. But this woman already has a little bit more spiritual wherewithal than a Pharisee does. She's like, whoa, whoa, like, okay, okay, okay. I hear what you're talking about, and you're starting to mix up my past. So clearly you're a prophet. I get that. You got a little bit of authority on you, big fella. But here's my trump card. I know who the Messiah is. I know Messiah. He's coming. And when he does, he'll handle all this. 
How many times do we do, how many times do I do that? Jesus, I got this. I know, I know, I know. I hear people try to talk to me, encourage me. Rich, you know, that, like, it shouldn't be that. And I'm like, yo, I know, bro, like, I preach, bro. I know, I know. I read the Bible. I get it. Like, I got, I know the hope that I have in Jesus. But I ain't trying to hear, layman's terms, I ain't trying to hear all that right now. I'm trying to handle this. I got this. She's like, hey, I know what you're trying to do here, bro. You're trying to get me into one of these conversations. I already know. I know. I know the Messiah is coming. I know. Save it. How many times do your words or actions or lack of words communicate the same thing? I know. I know. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Thank you, Lord. But one day, and one day I'll see him in heaven. But for right now, I got to just, I got to, this is my lot in life. So many of us have convinced ourselves that what we have right now is what we'll have. And that's it. And that's how it is. My kids are that way because my kids are that way. I'm this way because I've always been this way. My family's this way because my family's crazy. Uh, like, like, my job is like this because my boss hates me. Right? Like, all the, we, we. Get ourselves into these lines of thinking, and what you're actually doing is talking yourself out of the hope that Jesus presents to you. And so this lady's like, Trump card, dude, I know the Messiah, he's coming. And he's like, oh, bigger Trump card, I am the Messiah. And what I want to focus on isn't so much the fact that Jesus totally just, hey, this is me. What I want to focus on actually is what Jesus said in verses 7 through 10 when their interaction began. If you read this, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus goes on to have this conversation with the lady. And the lady comes to believe in who Jesus is and immediately goes out and evangelizes. Tells people. Gets excited. Is filled with passion and life and hope. And goes out and does something about it. That's a thought. We'll get back to that. 7 through 10, this is what Jesus says. And this is what I feel like when I was praying, the Holy Spirit put on my heart to tell you about hope today. When the Samaritan woman gave it to, or uh, came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said back to him, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Hey, <laughs> yo, let's just, how many times you feel... How many times you feel like that knock, that pull, that tug, that, hey, talk to me, I'm here. And we're like, tick, 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 yeah, I got it. How can you, like, I can't do this. We can't talk. We don't associate. Next. Check this out. Ten. Jesus answered her. If. You knew. Three words. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's talking to you, you would have asked me for what I have. It it shouldn't be me aggressing you. If you knew who was in front of you right now, you would be coming to me for what I offer. You would be coming to me for life. You would be coming to me for answers, for peace, for joy, for hope. If you only knew. And the reason why that's important is because, check this out, like, 
He could have just left her alone and been like, yeah, you got it. The Messiah is going to show himself one day. And he does that a few times. Like, he even tells his followers, like, hey, yo, don't tell anybody about me because my time hasn't come yet. He didn't have to disclose that to her. He could have let her just, oh, my gosh, that was the dude I talked to. And he's the one that died on the cross. And then he rose again. And that was the guy. She could have had that light bulb moment. But Jesus in that moment goes, hey, wait, listen, listen, listen. I'm him. I'm the realization of that hope that you look for. You're saying that you hope for something that's yet to come, and one day he will meet all the needs that you have and explain and bring clarity and all that stuff. But I, I'm, not, I'm not just hope for your future. I'm hope for your here and now. I know who you've been in bed with, lady. I know why you're here at noon. I know what you're trying to hide. I know what you struggle with. If I'm honest, my biggest struggle that I probably face every day is fear. Some of you guys may have heard me say this before. I, just to say it plain, I think about dying in a real way. That's like really, whoa, God. I think about dying in a real way, in a fearful way, every single day, multiple times a day. Thoughts like, like I'll be holding Olivia. (laughs) <laughs> She'd be anywhere. And, I, and a thought will just jump into my mind. What if you're not alive to walk her down the aisle? Last night, last night, I'm in bed. Carmen's asleep. Olivia's in her room asleep. Grizzly's on the end of our bed asleep. Yeah, we let our dog sleep with us. Save it. Don't want to hear it. <laughs> and Diggy is next to me. Just fed him a bottle, and he's just doing that weird baby look. And I'm like, yeah, my man. And a thought runs through my head. What if I'm not alive to see this guy graduate? I have no reason to think that. I mean, no greater reason than anybody else here does, not to scare you. No greater reason than anybody in the world does. But those thoughts come into my head multiple times a day, over and over. And that fear eats me. I've lost hours of sleep this week thinking about if I will be alive when my child has children. When I was writing this message, this isn't like preacher antics, like and God just spoke legit. When I was writing this message, I felt God. Richard, Richard, if you only knew the plans that I have for your children. provision I'm making for your family, the way that I'm making for you, if you you knew what you have in me, you would just be throwing this at my feet. You would just become, you would, if you could grasp this, what you have access to, man, you don't need to wrestle with this. I have hope for you. And I feel like Jesus is doing that, if you only knew. This woman's like, dude, I know, man, I know. I have hope for the future, bro, I get it. I know. Jesus is like, no, you don't. Because if you did, there'd be no reason that you weren't already in my presence. I started thinking about that, and I was like, yo, how many times? How many times do we cheat ourselves out of the vibrant, life-giving, hope-filled relationship 
that we're supposed to have with Jesus and relegate him to the eight ball magic genie God when things just get too much for us to bear, when things are just too big for us to handle by ourselves, then we approach the throne of grace, right? Then we know our Bible. Then we want to read a verse that's like a fortune cookie and just gets us through the next five hours of work. So, Lord, I don't lose my salvation on my boss because you don't even know. Like, like, you, like we, we do these little things when the time is right. But Jesus is like, yo, if you could grasp this, what would it change in your life? What would it do for you if you understood that I'm not just some hope on the horizon that's going to come one day and we're all going to sing glory hallelujah while we Harlem shake out of our clothes and get white gowns. and I'm not just that, man. I was, I was going over my message last night. If you didn't you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of weird to think about. I preached this message in this room with none of you here last night. And it wasn't this good, so you're welcome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was terrible. And it might be now, but, you know. And when I was up here doing this, it stopped me in my tracks. Literally stopped me in my tracks. Again, I'm not about the preacher antics. I don't, I don't fake the stuff. I don't fake cry. I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah. But I was up here going over this, reading this, thinking about this, and God stopped me in my tracks because I was like, yo, what would my prayer be for myself after reading this? I wish I could be there when Jesus says to this lady, I am the Messiah, because here's what my reaction would have been. You ready? I don't even, I never, bro, I never had a total of five girlfriends in my life. I know what you're thinking, how, bro? Because you're... <laughs> So I'm thinking this last night. I'm going, yo, ha, because here, if you read it and if you go on to, to look at this story, the disciples come back and they're like, Jesus, why are you talking to her, bro? Her? Because that's how I pointed. And he's like, yo, 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 like she's, she's, she's got, like she's got, she's got something. And when Jesus says, I am the Messiah. After just exposing the thing that made her run from society. You know what she does? I'll tell you what she doesn't do. She doesn't, oh God, I'm so sorry. God, I can't look at you. God, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. God, I can't. Oh God, I, I got to leave. You're too holy for me to be in that. And, and, and all that's true. Don't get it twisted. He is. But that's a testimony to the hope that Jesus brings because she didn't throw herself on the ground and cry and, and, and just full of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did it. And you really saw that? You really saw this? And do you know their names? And do you know, like, do you, like she didn't do any of that. You know what she did? She was instantly filled with hope. So much so it says in the scriptures, she, she was brought to the realization of who Jesus is, and then she went into the very town that she ran from because she was ashamed, and she started telling people about the Messiah. She went to them, and she said, I met the Messiah. I met him. You know the guy that, like, we, we talk about who's coming, and we've been raised generation after generation to look out for? Guess what? It's not just a prophecy. It's not just a promise. It's, he's, it's a he. He's, he's right here. I just sat with him. And he told me everything I did. And guess what I have? Hope. 
And he tells them that. And guess what they do? Scripture says that many believed because of what she said. And then they went and experienced hope for themselves. And Scripture says at the end of this story, it says that they came back to her and they said, guess what? We went and found this God that you talked about, this hope that you have. And we experienced that hope for ourselves. And they said this with their own words. And now we believe in him. First because of what you told us, but now we believe for ourselves because we experienced it too. You want to talk about hope. Jesus has always been hope. Jesus is who hope is. If you want to look at a real definition of what hope is, Jesus, synonymous, boom. From the start of the world, foundation of the world, Jesus, it says in Scripture, Jesus is the maker and sustainer of all things. Jesus holds all things together in his being. Jesus is the hope for humanity and creation from the foundation of the world. It's through Jesus and by Jesus that it all has its being. If we have any hope for anything being what it is, it's through Jesus. Right? But then humanity fell. And things didn't go right. Oh, there goes the hope. No. And Jesus brought more hope. And he said, yeah, you need someone to return you back to how things should be. Here I am. And that promise is what God gave his people to hold them over, hold them over until Jesus appeared. That promise was hope. Hope moved them from one to the next to the next. And then when Jesus came, hope is gone. No, it wasn't. Now people casted their hopes on Jesus in a different way. What they hoped he would do for them. What they hoped that he would accomplish. The the things that they hoped to see in him. The way that they hoped for this coming king to reign. Now that he's here and you're a good king. And you're going to establish your kingdom like this, right? I hope you do. And Jesus didn't live up to those hopes because that's never what he was about. So when those hopes fell, guess what then happens? Jesus gets crucified, nailed to a tree, and they finally got us, y'all. They finally put us out. Knockout punch. Bong! We were on the mat. We're done. No. Jesus said, yo, you want to put me down? I'm down here. And then guess what? Three days later, how can you not feel something when you, when you, when you say, say those words? Three days later, not a single person has ever died and came back like nobody has ever raised himself from the grave. And Jesus did it. And Jesus said, you want to talk about hope? They put me down. And I took that and I got up three days later and here's more hope for you. You want hope? Here's hope. If you follow me, you'll do the same thing. And you might be put down in the grave like me, but if I got up, you'll get up too. Hope. Well, we got that, so it's over. No, it's not. Jesus said, and guess what? Now I'm leaving, but if I go to my Father's house, I'm going only to prepare a place for you. I'm not going to let you come into the house all empty, no food up in the kitchen. I'm going to go cook, and I'm going to go clean, and I'm going to make your bed, and I'm going to get it ready for you. And if I go, I go to prepare a place for you. That's hope, because one day you'll be with him again. Hope on hope on hope on hope on hope on hope on hope from beginning to the end of all time.
But Jesus isn't just that. Thank you, God. You can leave it at that if you want. And that's how we get to the place where we leave him there and we put a bookmark in it and we wait for him to come back and get us and take us to the place he prepared for us. But no, Jesus said that's not what it is. You got an issue? You got five boyfriends? You got sin? You got something that needs to be healed? You have heartache? You have an issue with your kids? You have an issue at your job? You're just having a rough day and you don't feel very good and you're not encouraged and, and, and you feel broken down? Guess what? If you only knew who's with you right now, you wouldn't wait. You wouldn't stop, you wouldn't stall, you wouldn't stay quiet. You'd come to me, you'd ask me for what I have to give you because what I have to give you isn't just a cup that you bring to fill up that will leave you thirsty again. You will drink from the source if you come to me. And better yet, you won't even drink from the source, I'll make you a source. God, that's what I need. When I'm in bed at 3 a.m. wondering if I'll get to see what my kids look like when they're adults, these are real thoughts I have. I need Jesus to invade my thoughts and say, Richard, if you only knew, ask me right now. Let me give you that. Let me fill you. Let me present you with hope. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven, homie. That's hope for there, but there's hope for now. My question for you, I need to shut up. My question for you is this. If you only knew who is with you here right now, who is sitting right next to you right now, who accompanied you in your car, in your job, in your house, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your finances, in your social media, in your politics, and there is not an area that Jesus is off limits to. If you let Jesus invade those, and he asked you, if you only knew what I could do, what would change? Because that's hope. It's not a magic eight ball that you shake to get your way when you just need a little fix because you don't feel it. Jesus is hope, and when Jesus came down, hope came down. So I ask you this morning what he asked the woman at the well. What? My, mine's fear, man. Mine is fear. Mine is losing. Mine is sorrow. What's yours? What's your situation that you need to look at and go, hey, you only know what Jesus could do here. What's yours? I challenge you. magic eight ball genie in the lamp thing. There's nothing to hope in in that. Jesus is the linchpin for hope. Jesus is the author, the finisher, the creator, the designer. Jesus is the definition of what hope is. You need hope this morning? Dear Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.